Well, we started Agape 12 years oh, ago. <laughs> I know what the first one is. We started Agape 12 years ago. We started in our home um, to be a, a missional church in downtown Portland. Uh, we planted through the Kairos Church planting. And where there's third, second, third church? Third church third that church. planted. And uh, when we started, we decided we were going to hit people in all areas. We, you know, we were not, didn't want to look, uh, look like everybody else in our church. And so we have three core values. They're agape love. Uh, and so we, we want everybody to have a mature love. And so, and we picked agape as the name. A, A comes first in the directory. So people always ask, you know, call us in their visiting town. So that's always good. And when they give us criticism, they call us. No, they always agape find us too. <laughs> And then uh, we're about relationship. Jesus was relational. Uh, we are all about relationships, building relationships in the community, building relationships with, our, with the people that come through our doors. Uh, and so that's really big on what we do. And then the spirit is empowerment, and we, are, we empower all of our people. Uh, as we talk and go through where we've seen people move in the last 12 years from where they were to where they are now. It's pretty amazing, I think, and some of them, it's just a big shift in their whole life. So we have agape love, relationship, and empowerment, and pretty much everybody has those memorized at agape. That's our core values. Yeah, we were, I was preaching at a bigger church in Gresham, a suburb of Portland. It was a good congregation, uh, but we just really wanted to reach more marginalized population, and one thing I, I came to uh, understand is I, I visited a church, uh, one of our Churches of Christ to speak at, and on the back they had listed what we believe is the Church of Christ. And I saw a lot of points, but my thought was if I were Muslim or not even associated with a church, very little of that would mean anything to me. So that's where we, we thought, you know, if we talk about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity, can we come up with three three points that we think are scriptural that we can kind of revolve much of our ministry around. And so agape love, maturity, and relationship and empowerment became important points. So first of all, when we talk about reaching the margins, we believe it begins with leadership. You know, it's one thing to stand up and tell people to go to the margins and talk about going to the margins. It's another thing when your leadership goes to the margins. And you know, this is a picture, Ross and Pam Graham are a couple, they've been elders up in Longview, Washington for years. But every year uh, we take a covenant for the congregation that we're gonna be honest, have integrity, you know, you know, so forth. And they pray over us. And every year we, we begin, uh, and it started in the Kairos Network, but we continue to, we've done that for 10 years. And all of our staff we've had, all of our interns do the same thing. We pledge to the congregation we're gonna be loyal and faithful uh, have sexual integrity and so forth in our relationships. And so one thing, when we talk about going to the margins, we believe that leadership needs to be willing to go to the margins to, to address that. Um, and where did we get some of our thinking? When we were in what's called the Discovery Lab, we focused a lot on Luke. I've written a book on Luke and Acts, um, both uh, in a series and Jesus Unleashed and the Spirit of Jesus Unleashed on the church. But if you notice in Luke 4, when Jesus goes into the synagogue, he, he quotes, it's kind of like Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. But if you notice, he changes the words.
from Psalm or from Isaiah 61. And and if you look at the list there, what what is different in Luke 4 than Isaiah 61? Proclaiming freedom to prisoners or releasing the oppressed. Okay. Release the oppressed, releasing prisoners. Yeah. Okay. And these are people in exile. Mm -hmm. So now you're going from people in exile to people who are oppressed. Mm -hmm. All right. What else do you see? Yeah. Yeah. So when when he gives this lesson, people with the eyes of the synagogue are on him, and he says, Today this is fulfilled in your hearing. And there's something about that. They're wanting to know why did you monkey with the Isaiah text? And whenever a person would do that in the synagogue, it meant I'm going to give a commentary on why I do that. In chapter seven, when uh, and you only have Luke and Matthew mentioning this, when the John the Baptist's disciples go to Jesus and they say, are you the one who we're waiting for or do we wait for someone else? Luke is the only one that writes, at that time, Jesus healed. And it's almost funny that here's Jesus healing these people and these two guys are saying, excuse me, are you the one we're to wait for? You know, which tells you what they and the reader of Luke uh, are thinking. Is this it? And Jesus said, you go back and tell John what you've seen heard, the blind see, the lame walk, those who love you hear, deaf hear, the dead are raised. Good news is preached to the poor. And he's going back to Luke 4. You tell John, this is what I'm about. And what, what we get is that that's not what the church wanted to be about. And when you read Luke, I think that's the thinking, especially when Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me and my, my word or my ministry or here, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Does it bother you that I hang out with these people? And I think for us, that was the challenge of the church. We were saying, you know, what is our role? What are we called to do? And who are, what are we as leaders called to do? So then we began to do uh, the ministry. We're a ministry uh, agape, you know. And we began, you know, one of the things that we do is we feel very passionate. We meet in a public school, but we have people from the streets that come. We This Latasha is going to be a doctor. John was homeless. You know, he's... A leader in our ministry now, but we have people now who are mixed, people in prostitution we've had, people who work in corporate, uh, people from the streets. We come together and we're working with projects to build homeless camps, to clean our school, to work in our community, because we believe that going to the marginalized means that we go as leaders and as a church to reach them. What do you think? Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> so this is Hazelnut Grove. This is one of our homeless camps in no, Portland. Solar panel. Yeah, we have yeah. a solar panel. And uh, we uh, now, this summer, we're working on a new place. Um, we didn't name it. It isn't sponsored by us, but it's called Agape Village. Uh, the board, uh, has, it's where it's a, what would you call it? It's, a, it's between a couple of churches and private industry. And so we've been, been able to bridge that together. That's a lot of more of the work you do. But this is... This is what they were, right? This Dignity Village. This Dignity Village. And so uh, we're spending the whole summer uh, working, having youth groups come in, and we're going to be building these tiny homes that are movable. So uh, it's really nice. The city has said okay. And so it's a big foot. Uh, 30 homes this summer are being built? Uh, 20 to 50. 20 to 50. So I, I think that's really 
uh, says a lot. This is a community garden that we work on um, all summer long. We have these all over Portland. They feed immigrant population. A lot of the immigrant population works out of them. Um, can you go back? I want to talk about the one she's in. <laughs> it's okay if you can't. She's in another one. Oh, yes. There we go. This lady, here it is, right here. Uh, this is Judy. Judy comes to Agape. She's been with us about five years. And about a year ago, she said, um, I've had to make a choice. I, I'm going to stay at Agape. And we thought we didn't know that there was any choice going on. And she lives in the West Hills of Portland. And she said, no, she said, I've been just really not connected in, and I want to connect in now. And we call her the homeless whisperer. This is a homeless camp on the street. And this is her sitting down in the middle of everybody, um, having lunch with them, taking them wherever they need to go. Uh, she has a job in the corporate world. And about six months ago, she told me, I'm, I'm moving downtown Portland. She sold her condo and is moving to a 600 square foot apartment right down smack in the middle. She said, because these women, I need to be able to be with them. I need to be able to know that if, you know, somebody needs to be down here. She, she's a very quiet woman. She doesn't tell them what to do. She doesn't, but she listens. She's become, that's her ministry. Uh, I don't think she ever felt that would be her ministry, but uh, the spirit just moved her in that way. And it's really, I just cried the day she told me that. And so this summer, we're going to be able to have some uh, time together with the women in the parks downtown, which is amazing. And so um, I, for us, we have a lot of people that come to Agape really not knowing if they're going to be connected. And we don't even know what they're thinking a lot of the times. And then that happens. And so um, she's, she's a very special person to us. So... And, and with much of this work, as Lori said, it, it's, it's our congregation, but it began with us because our, our second day that we launched as a new church, some of the Cascade College kids, the crazy Cascade College kids, <laughs> which when you all, when Javon and uh, Leah were, <laughs> Dignity Village was just a tent uh, community. And, and you know, two years later, we turned all of those yeah. uh, tents into wooden structures that you see here in the weekend. But... Um, we had college kids that brought homeless people in our second Sunday as a new church. And we went to the homeless camp there at Dignity Village and visited. And Lori said, we got two choices. We're either going to be an example for these young kids and get involved, or we're going to expect them to do it and stand back and cheerlead. And I've had, I've had growing church ministers in the city say, if you want to have a mega church, you need to stay out of the camps. Oh. And they're right. They're right. But who cares about a growing megachurch? Well, see, so this is what we call the detox phase, where I had to detox all of the church growth literature I read, and that I read in school, and we came to the decision, we're here, and this is where we see that this is what it means to be called by the Spirit. We are called to go here and do a ministry, and whatever God does, God does. If it's a big church, great. If it's not a big church, God's going to provide and what we've noticed is when we work in these gardens, we, we, I mean, we have youth groups that come in, they work alongside Nepalese youth and learn about how apartment complexes are cutting down costs by growing these gardens. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, the picture I showed you, the solar panel, yeah. that's designed by high school kids. They got a grant at a Jewish high school. They got a grant from the government, and they designed uh, solar panels. So all we have six homeless camps now. All six of them, there's like 80 homes, all of them have these solar panels. 
So the people in these camps that are homeless, they have a job, but it doesn't, you know, it's not minimum wage. They don't, they can't live on it. So they come and live in these houses and they have a charge at night that they can charge their phone up, they can search the internet. A lot of these camps have internet. What's happened is the city of Portland has declared homelessness a crisis. And so they've said, you come up with ideas. And this summer, the seventh camp that we'll build is on a church's property and it's all businesses, a few churches, I mean, a lot of agencies, there's people at the synagogue there in Portland, it's a huge synagogue, that I have them come to me and say, my rabbis won't go with me to, con to tell these businesses to donate, would you go? And I'll go with them and they'll say, hey, you know, here's uh, Pastor Ron. And I don't get into discussion about pastor and church of Christ, I just go, yeah, I'm, I'm here. And I tell them, hey, you know, you want to support this? And we've got architect firms, businesses, former government officials that are donating money to this camp. So this camp will go in in the summer with all people working together and the city just says we're not going to be with it so just do it and we'll we'll figure it out but that's what we've learned by being in the community and as we celebrate our 10th anniversary this last um, last year we, we took a good look at agape and agape is a teenager uh, we did a survey among our people and we've helped to start a couple congregations and we're you know we're a small church and our teenager is practicing love, has a passion for homelessness, abuse, working with individuals. It's just an awkward teenager. Then we came to realize, man, we've got a teenager as a church and we love our teenager. You know, they're awkward, but they're growing. They're manifesting a lot of the love that we started with. Oh. <laughs> So like Ron said, we meet in one of the churches in downtown Portland. We decided... School. Schools. Schools. Oh, it was, it was a school. one of the schools in downtown Portland. We decided a long time ago we would not uh, have a building. Uh, it, so much money goes into a building, and that's great, but we want to have the resources to be able to do the outreach that we do. We are supported uh, 70%. Agape support says 30%. Uh, when a church in Tulsa, Oklahoma picked us up as their uh, mission, one of their missionaries. So that's been a great relief for us. And they're like, just do what you want. Uh, this is the old Cascade College campus. Where we, we first start practice, <laughs> practice to launch. <laughs> oh, you look young. Uh, so that 12 years church ago. planning will do that to you at age. <laughs> We're here and here. Uh, one of the one of the great things that I think about Agape is it, our, every Sunday's different. The people that come, we have a lot of artists that come. A lot of people on the street have a lot of great talent. Uh, some of them will just sit and draw during church. And, um, that, and that's just what's amazing about it. Uh, we've, our Sundays are just, they look the same every week. We have, you know, we have worship. But uh, we don't know who will come in and eat. We serve breakfast every Sunday. Uh, for, for everybody. We all eat together, visit. Um, and so for us, it's just like a big family gathering. And uh, some people come in and worship with us, others don't. They never come in. We have a guy, I don't think he's ever come in to worship in three years. He sits kind of outside in the lobby area. But it's, you know, it's fine. And sometimes people will go out there and stay with him and just visit with him. Uh, we take communion out to him. We always want to have communion with him. So I think that's what I like about agape. There's no, it, there's no rhyme or reason. Someone once told us it was organized chaos, and it is most Sundays, but it doesn't look like it. So. Yeah, we and we, um, you know, going from the bigger church where worship was really big, 
we've just tried to make it low key. We've tried to make it like a like a home church would be. So hence the food. Now here's a homeless guy sitting yes. on the front row while I was preaching. He's drawing. Now why he's drawing a rabbit? I don't know if he was drawing <laughs> me or just what was in his head. But um, you know what we found in worship was worship is low key. I mean we have people interrupt us. I have people interrupt the sermon if they're drunk, but I know they're listening because they repeat it back. <laughs> but we had a we had a couple that uh, he works in insurance and she's a school teacher. They visited another church and they said there was a person with mental illness walking around the circle. They said everybody in church was tense. And they said, we kind of laughed because we said, man, in Agape, everybody, that's just normal. We're relaxed. And what we've learned is that we've, we've tried to keep a low-key type of worship where people feel safe, people feel welcome. We've had times where women in prostitution have sat next to families and taken communion. Um, we've had you know, people talk during this sermon. We've had yelling during this sermon, very rarely, but... People get up and walk, but there's this feeling that we want to get away from the professional excitement to just calm worship and uh, acapella singing is easy for us because anybody can do it. Are they actually obeying the gospel? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, because it, it looked like a lot of outreach. Yeah. But but I wasn't seeing the um, you know the baptisms and stuff, so I was wondering about that. So we've we've found two things with that. There's a lot of people that have already been baptized, and we're we're so we have people coming back to God, mm-hmm. and um, we don't we don't do the come forward on a Sunday and announce come back to God. We'll be in a homeless camp praying with people, give their life back to God, and they'll start coming to church. Um, a second thing we found is we're running into a lot of um, people that we work with in the community who hate God. They hate church. They hate God. And uh, at our 10th anniversary, one of my friends who's atheist that work with uh, in domestic violence, he came and he got up and shared how he loves this church and he sees God in this church. He goes, I don't believe in God, but I'm just telling you how I feel. And what we've begun to see is if, if all we do is get people to say God is good, Jesus is, is good, and church isn't a bad thing, you know, if that's all we get done, then that's, that's all we do. Uh, so we're... Yeah, we've had to redefine what obeying the gospel means. You know, when we say it's just baptisms, then we can go out, we can baptize a lot of people, and they'll not be back. But we're looking at people who are going to give their life to Christ and commit to being a part of this mission and this vision. Yeah, I, you know, like um, when I've ministered to people, when they come out of, they're in the denominations, and so they. You know, they say they're Baptists and everything, and I've gotten to the point where I don't want to sit down and debate with them about being a Baptist or this. If they're saying they believe in Jesus Christ, then, you know, leave them alone. I, you know, I'm trying to understand yeah. that scripture. Yeah. If, yeah. if they're not against us, then they're for us. Yeah. Exactly right. You know, and, and so, but that's typically not the philosophy of the Church of Christ. We, we had a, we, we ran into, oh, right after we started working with homeless, uh, a guy, Louie, he, a uh, really good friend of ours, and he said, we said, Louie, you have been baptized? And he goes, oh, at least six times. <laughs> and he goes, you know every church you go visit or rescue mission, they're going to baptize you. Yeah. And that was kind of a, oh, wait a minute, we need to reevaluate. And that was so funny because, you know, Louie was great. And um, 
so yeah, we had a, our first homeless guy that actually we died on the street. And it was kind of a big blow for us. He'd been with us for a long time. And um, we, knew, we knew Glenn's philosophy and what he thought. But, and we had a church that, that Sunday. We just had a service for him, just dedicated to him. He was from across the country, I think, Florida. And so we just for ourselves. But, yeah, I remember uh, somebody said, you know, Glenn had a lot of philosophies, and then another homeless guy goes, and he'd probably been dunked at least six times, too. So I thought we'd found that out a lot. I, we, yeah, exactly. Right. Can I butt in? You sure can. Okay. We're but used to it. We like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you said so, but I may be the oldest one in here. And I grew up very traditional, but I do not think traditional. Because I, I'm a teacher. I believe in uh, developmental psychology. And you have to have a mature brain to think for yourself. So when I started reading the Bible and thinking for myself, I decided that one of the devil's biggest tools is Christian against Christian. Right. Uh -huh. I mean, why are we drawing lines? Mm -hmm. Because God says that his people are known by their love for each other. Right. When we draw lines, that's not loving each other. And in my lifetime, the church I grew up in is changing. It's morphing. Yeah. We're taking lines away. Right. Okay. Well, and, and, and you, and I would say it's not just Church of Christ, because I read yeah. evangelical church literature that's the same thing. And one, one th book that I read that really touched me was Same Kind of Different as Me. And if you've ever read it, it's about a, 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 a couple, very wealthy, affluent couple in Fort Worth that worked in. The wife wanted to work in a shelter, befriended an African-American older man, and she had a good relationship with him. She died of cancer, and so the husband felt, I'm going to carry my wife's ministry on. So these two became friends. And uh, at one point, um, the guy, uh, they were having lunch together, and uh, the African-American gentleman said, I got a question. He said, you know, when you white folks fish, you, you, let, you really catch and release. And he goes, yeah, yeah. And he goes, is this a sport for you? He goes, when we fish, we're hungry. And he said, so when are you going to release me? Oh. And that just really, and the guy talked about how I had to decide, is this going to be a friendship or am I using him? You know, for mm -hmm. a And we've had that discussion. That that's, that's the thing. I was converted in what was called the Crossroads Movement in the Church of Christ. Um, I read books and they'll say, you know, you, you make them make a choice. You present the gospel to them. And if they don't take it, you go on to someone else. And... We've got friends in camps who are transgender. They know we're conservative in our view, but they'll call me their pastor. They won't go to church because they don't, you know, if they come, they'll come, but I'm their pastor. we got a, uh, the district, the deputy sheriff over the human trafficking division. He doesn't go to church, but I'm his pastor, you know. When they'll tell me, you're my pastor, and I'll pray with them. And sometimes it freaks them out. I'll pray with them right there. But these are people who um, I've had to make a decision. Either we're going to cut, you know, either I go, okay, you're not going to do this, so it's over, or I'm going to be friends with them. And that's where I think when you're led by the Spirit, and I think as leaders, if we're led by the Spirit, then we've got to be friends with people. And if they never decide to follow Jesus, but they may help us or join us or... Um, we're going to Malawi this summer, and 75% of the funds we raise are from non-Christian people. That's because we're going to train church leaders in domestic violence and hook them up with the UN. So, you know, we just go, that's how God works. And, and 
I know that there are, I have colleagues who think um, that's terrible, and we just say, you know, if that works for you, you got to do it, but for us, we just got to go where we got called. And I think that's a very good, in your, and how you explained that was very well put, I think we struggle with that, but are we going to, are we going to catch and release people, or are we going to be friends? Yeah, because we could, I mean, you know, like, um, I would say 99% of my family members are in the denominations that the Church of Christ has drawn a line against. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I can't go in and, and uh, terrorize my family <laughs> yeah. where, where they have been um, in these denominational churches uh, from their grandmother up, you know, and, and so it's pretty hard to convince them that something's wrong with their um, way of worship and their understanding of Jesus Christ. They're still naming Jesus Christ, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit. There's, you know, the whole Trinity, so. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Because yeah. oh, it seems like our focus sometimes gets on the wrong people. Maybe we, we should work yeah. with the ones who, who say they don't know God. We, know we found that out really fast when we just said, or, take us. Know. Yeah, <laughs> we found that out really fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the county domestic violence agency pays us to come teach their advocates about working with domestic violence and faith community. And we could go in and say all the things that we don't agree with with the county, or we just said we go in and we teach them. In fact, the lady, the lady over it, the first time we did it, she just sat in to listen to us. And afterwards she goes, really? You guys aren't going to really get into the scripture? And we're like, well, we didn't know how much we could talk about. And she's totally not any uh, church affiliation. And she goes, let it go, go. <laughs> So we kind of have free reign over what we teach now at, our, at the county level, which is kind of cool. So, yeah. You said 75% um, of the trip was funded by non-Christians. Um, how does that work? How did you present that to them? Uh, Facebook. <laughs> I went up and said, we're going to go uh, take our 13-year-old son with me. We're going to go on a mission trip with the team. They were using my leadership book over there. and The missionary that lives in Vancouver, uh, Washington, said, why don't you go and can you talk to the leaders about domestic violence? So I put on there, we're doing domestic violence training for leaders and people were like, I'll pay for you to go. I'll send money for you to go. So here again, and, and we're going to, we're going to cultivate a relationship with them. Some of them came to the fundraiser banquet, you yeah. know, and yeah, that's true. so, yeah. you know, so this is an, ex I have to tell the story. This is a new couple. This is Carlos and Luz and they came to us in a really weird way. They are from Colombia, South America, and uh, we have a member. Uh, he served six years in prison in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It was converted uh, through the prison ministry uh, with a church that supports us. And they said, when you go back to Portland, uh, you need to hook up with Agape. So he did, first Sunday, and him and his fiance never left, had been with us. He does World English Institute with Dick Aidy and them. And this, these were his students. And they told him, well, we're moving to Oregon. Are you anywhere close to Portland? And he goes, I do. You need to be at church with me. And so they showed up a year and a half ago. And now we have a Hispanic ministry. <laughs> because they're bringing, they go on to the Columbia Facebook page, Columbian Facebook page, and they tell their friends, come to church. You need to be at church. And so he translates Ron's sermons for him. This, and so God, the Spirit said, you know what? we got to reach the Hispanic group here. 
So this, this is just blown open for us. But in the meantime, the guy who, who studied with them and John, the guy that was in prison, his fiancee, uh, she just uh, went to sleep and didn't wake up. She died. And it was very, for all of us, she was huge in our food. Uh, she did all of our food for our homeless. And um, the, it was so, not neat, but it was so just heartwarming to see how they rallied around for him. They became his family. And, um, and our church has rallied around for John. And this, she died on a Sunday morning at 3 in the morning, and he was at church. He pulled our trailer that Sunday, and we were all like, we would have been fine. We didn't need the stuff in the trailer. He goes, where else was I going to go? I need my family. And, they, and this is that Sunday morning. We're all praying for him. He's the tall guy in the middle. And I just, I just think everybody just stopped what they were doing that Sunday and said that we have to be there for him. And so, uh, so now Car he's big with the Hispanic. We have a Hispanic home community now. They're teaching Spanish. So we can start doing a lot more outreach. And we have a lot of our older members taking Spanish with them. We're singing Spanish songs, Hispanic songs on Sunday. So it's been, we didn't see that coming. And God said, they're here, you better be faithful. And so we said, okay. So. Yeah, his wife, John's wife was like a former strip club bar bounce, a bouncer, bartender. She was rough, you know, and medical marijuana and all that. But... You know, she was baptized. Everybody loved her. And this Sunday, a bunch of people from what used to be known as the International Church of Christ, the Crossway, you know, they, they've gone through so much, and there's so many burnout. And we, I've spoken at their conferences, so they'll come and do a lot of healing. They showed up that Sunday, and they gathered around us and prayed, and they were saying, that was so powerful, you know, that you, you love this man that much. And so it's amazing to see how many people just, um, you know, how our child... <laughs> Uh, Agape, our, our, you know, God's kid is, is growing as a teenager, but yet is showing this tremendous amount of love. This is uh, Dale. He's one of our guys on the street. Um, he wouldn't leave. We couldn't get him. He got pneumonia. Went to the uh, uh, emergency in, in, uh, ICU Christmas Eve, and for three weeks he was in there. He died three times. They brought him back to life. Um, a lot of the medical staff are just tired of homeless people because they, you know, they're there. But in the first week, they were just so cold. But homeless people came in to visit them, a bunch of people from church. After like three weeks, we were talking with them. They were like, you know, so many of you have come to see him. And they said, we've just really... And then they'll say things like, no, I used to be a Christian. I really... I mean, I've got to realize i got to be faithful. You know, i got to be compassionate. And, you know, it's things like that that, you know, we're being taught. And Dale, of course, is off the streets now. He's, yeah. He's doing much better. He won't go back, and he's 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 some of our people that, that will not go back on the streets. And on you know, here's Jerome, almost seventy years old. He's we have a we have a Wednesday group that meets, and we go out and do outreach. Charlie used to be a Black Hawk, uh, Vietnam pilot, and he flew for NATO. I mean, he's like, and he flew life flight. I mean, he was big time. He retired. He you know his wife passed away of cancer, and he's like, you know, I want to make a difference. So he comes down and we do a lot of work with homeless people and Jerome lives on the streets um, he won't come in but he's there he helps at church Big John's housified now uh, he, he calls it, he's housified I won't go back to the streets but he's you know he's a big uh, 
guy in our ministry, and you know, you look at. Well, Jerome is 73. You said he's almost 70. He's 73. Oh, yeah, and he rides a bike everywhere around Portland. And one day, about a year ago, he showed up at our house, and I, which is fine. I don't care. And he didn't want to come in. He just wanted to sit on the patio and have lemonade. And he just started telling me about when he lived in Pittsburgh and just kind of reminiscing. And then he said, well, I got to go. Oh, here, I brought you some flowers. And he, I picked them somewhere. And he brings me flowers once a month. And he comes to our house now. He knows he can come by. And he's not doesn't even live around this, I don't think. But it's just interesting that I'm, and it's helped us create that environment. Our home, Thanksgiving is for anybody and everybody. Some, there are sometimes we set boundaries and it's with our family, but Thanksgiving is anybody and everybody, and usually it's everyone that doesn't have a place to go. And I love that. And it's always, somebody said, well, we should have it somewhere bigger. I said, no, it's always gonna be in my home because that's what it's about. A lot of these people miss home. They miss that for whatever reason. Some of them will never tell us, but yeah. And, and we have parents who are raising their kids and they'll yeah. say that we're raising our kids in an environment where they're learning compassion. Uh, as well as our own children, our, our, our boys as well. Let's see what we have. Ken and Linda, <laughs> you tell that story? You, you tell that. They were both sold into prostitution as kids. Uh, Linda to a gang in L.A. John, uh, his, I mean, uh, Ken, his uncle, took him from his grandma. His parents abandoned him and he said, I'll, I'll make a man out of him. So these two met in their 40s and got married. We picked them up. Uh, they started coming to Agape. They were at Dignity Village, and then they got kicked out. And I preached on Haggai one Sunday morning and about God giving second chances and how. And they called us, and we went to their apartment, and they sat down with us and said, we both have AIDS. Um, we've been, and they told us the whole story. And, I mean, the apartment was right there off of 82nd. There, you could hear, you know, the, the prostitution going on in the, up in there. But I remember she said... Uh, would you, is it okay if we still continue to come? And uh, I was like, we've been praying for, for you, people like this to be in Agape. And, and she told you, I, if I come help you with your abuse ministry, I won't drink. And yeah. Lori said, that's all you can do. And they, you know, they did that. We baptized them. Um, uh, we worried more about AIDS and his getting the water than within the fact that he had boxer shorts on when he was baptized. So when he came out of the water, I went, woohoo! Our children at the other end of the horse trough baptistry, you know, saw what happens when you wear boxer shorts. And those things happen at Agape, and it's like we tell those stories, but we go, oh no, what's going to happen? But they just, we have wild stories like that. But both of them, uh, they've moved down to Southern Oregon, they're doing well. But that's, an, you know, we had a lot of women in prostitution and men at that time, but they were such a big help to them, just saying, hey, you know, there's a way out. God is second chances. God will forgive you. And they were a great blessing for yeah. us. Actually, when they moved to Southern Oregon, they joined a church. And they said they would, that would have never been on their radar, but they joined a church down there. And that made me really happy yeah. to hear that, yeah. Sarah Hobbs. <laughs> is that one you or me, This is Sarah. Sarah has um, a brain. She was injured, right? Correct? Yeah. And she has a, a really bad stutter. Uh, she is a resident protester. She is at every protest in town. She um, is just there. Yeah, she, they're washing out the, they're washing out the protesters' story. eyes. She, this was on the news, actually. She is um, vocal, big in suicide prevention. 
uh, and she wears a bell on her. You can hear her coming a mile away. And Sarah is at church every Sunday. She, um, I don't know how else to describe her. She's, yeah. She she would not probably walk into a, any a church that was in a building. I, that's all I have to say. Sarah actually grew up in the Church of Christ. Well, an international international Church of Christ, uh, and she uh, had left. She had a bad taste in her mouth, and she met us. And Sarah's uh, been with us. Uh, everybody loves her. Uh, she's just uh, one of the many faces that make up. Now you tell this part. And um, usually Sarah's on the back lines, uh, washing out people's eyes. Uh, I've gotten peppers in my eyes, and I, you know, and she told me one time, use Maalox, that's what we use with pepper spray, and I thought, that's brilliant, but she's usually <laughs> on the back line, she's kind of known as the grandma of the group, but there was a point during May Day, two years ago, she was on the front lines, and, you know, the police, there was just this bad conflict, Jason Jones teaches adjunct at Abilene Christian, he was going to a Church of Christ, and just felt that he wanted to do, and he's known by the homeless community as a wonderful cop. But he and Sarah started reconciling over that May Day. Well, they got into it. They yeah, got into a fight. that's right. And they sat down and they worked through it. And after time, Jason told Sarah, I'm going to go to church with you. Because he goes, I'm just, he goes, I'm, I'm not feeling like I connect. And so both of them, we've become, we've been good friends for a long time. But he and Candace come and he's very regular and they're active. And, you know, Sarah's a testimony of a person that's brought, you know, the police together. And now... Sarah and I are supposed to work on a bias committee with racism in the police department, and the police have us come and talk to officers because we run into a lot of that with the homeless work, uh, abuse work. Uh, I work with Portland United Against Hate, so the immigrant groups, there's a lot of racism with the police. And we're getting the opportunity now to not just help marginalized individuals, but work with the police department to recognize how to work with marginalized individuals. And my take when I meet with the police Commanders, officers get traumatized too, oh, yeah. and we need to offer things because when these guys, put, you know, men and women, put on this battle gear, and they go and they see stuff, and it's it's trauma traumatized. So how do we help them? So you know, having a community that works with that as well. There's our worship. This leader, our worship Lim. leader. <laughs> Lim came to us nine years ago. Yeah. You met him at an AA meeting. Yeah. <laughs> An AA meeting. I was oh, going and, for oh, something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, he said uh, he started coming to Agape. I went because one of our worship leaders celebrated his fifth year. Lem was, uh, he's struggling. He said, I don't know if I'm gay or an abuse survivor. And we started addressing the abuse, and he's just chosen to live, uh, you know, he's a worship leader. He's going uh, to live for God, and he's been with us for years. He's a great yeah. man. Uh, gone through, you know, he put all the addiction behind him, and everybody loves Lem, you know, and, and he's. Uh, He's very spirited, animated in our worship, uh, and he's been a good friend. And he's a great, a great leader in the congregation as well. There's, yeah, you talked about Judy. Judy yeah. yeah, and her daughter there left just in, or her daughter. Refresh us. Who's Judy? She is the one that works with the homeless women. Okay. A lot of the homeless women. Yeah, okay. there she's doing that she's there. Grandma today. Yeah, I think. I hope. Yeah. And there's Ryan. Ryan. So Shannon was baptized right out of jail. Shannon met Ryan, baptized Ryan in our wonderful horse trough. And Ryan lives now at a camp, and we were able to build him a house there. So do, you, do you have, um, like, county social workers involved? They all have social workers. So, oh, they through the, yeah, most of them have social workers through the county. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Ryan's bipolar, and he wanted to have an exorcism. Now, 
We never did that. You know, I even teach at George Fox Seminary. We don't have classes in exorcism, but I met with this counselor. I, talk, I didn't know that they have monthly injections for bipolar sort of now, which I found out from talk. So we worked with this counselor. We worked with the camp. He's in a community in these camps. And we worked with all of these individuals. We brought them up. We put oil on his head. We prayed for him. Cast the demon out and said, if you don't do what the doctor says, or what we said, the demon's coming back, you know. So, I mean, and here he is worshiping. Uh, He's taken last Sunday, yeah. Yeah, uh, Jason Jones, a police officer, his wife took that picture. She loves Ryan. She goes, I just, I just, his journey, you know, and he, he just, he struggles with voices at times, but he comes, he's safe, and here he's worshiping God, you know. Are, are any of these um, members reconnected with their own families as, as a result of being in your group? Two years ago, reconnected. two years ago, we had a guy from, Florida, from Alabama up on the streets. He showed up one Sunday. He, he kind of just told us, you know, most of them do want to, they think that you want to hear something so they can get something. And we're just, we just listened to him, fed him. And about a week or two later, his mom called us. She got a hold of us, called us. And, um, he, but he wasn't going home. And then we found out he had a daughter he had left and abandoned. And so we just started talking to him and you and him would meet up and him and a lot of the other guys. And, uh, he actually was reunited with his family and went back home. And then he re and then he got married. And now he's married. We yeah. were invited to the wedding. It, it's a really good. Um, a lot of them don't, and a lot of them won't tell us. We actually, Judy, who works with it, has made a registry. So w when we do have, because we've been doing this long enough now, we've had four now pass away, and we have no clue. We we might not find out about it, or their families don't find out about it. So the ones that feel safe give us a contact number. Yeah. So, but most of them do. We have a guy, Brent, who has a social worker, and he said, uh, given both of us permission and the social worker will talk to us, he won't, you know, he always has an excuse why he's not off the street yet. So uh, she'll say, you know what he needs to do, and then we'll say, you know what you need to do. So we really do work with agencies. That's what's yeah. been great about it. And, yeah. we, and we also yeah. know that we'll have to call sometimes and say, no, this is what I'm hearing. And they'll say, yeah, we haven't got around to it. What can we do to help them get off? We need to get them off the street. So we've been able to hold the agencies accountable too. Because it, I mean, their caseload's heavy. And they, they lose compassion. I mean, I understand why. And so we go to 415, right? Okay. Um, so they lose compassion too. So being there, and this is where, again, going to the margins, we, we connect with people who are trying to help others and they're getting burned out. So do some of them um, get legal guardians too, or conservators, or anything like that? A few do. Uh -huh. um, well, Big John does that. The ones that have gotten into homes and, and apartments, yeah. they tend to do that. Okay. Uh, we have a really weird story. One of our guys uh, had a family member pass away, and he was left a lot of money. <laughs> and I know, but uh, and he has now. Uh, actually Judy is has gotten helped him get that taken care of uh, it's been caught up in the courts and stuff but it's uh, most of them that have gotten off the street end up doing that okay. a lot of them just get fall through those cracks or, or they they won't give us their name they give us their street name mm -hmm. so a few of a few people will say I like we have a guy called monster and um, one of the ladies goes I don't like calling you monster you're not a monster and he goes my name's Matthew. So it took six months to ever find out his name was Matthew. 
So, um, so it's one of those. But a lot of them do. A lot of them do have so, uh, that. Oh, good. So yeah. And we have connections with family that if they want to send anything, they can send it yes. to the. They can send to it the, to our postal post box, box the church yeah. head. And the understanding is any packages we get, we can open mm -hmm. just to make sure and there's no problem. Okay. So we're trying to build that bridge between the individuals, agencies, and that. Uh, abuse awareness. We actually have been doing domestic violence for years. Um, and one of the things that we found interesting is that um, we're working with a lot of church people in abusive congregations that are coming out of need. Oh, this is one of Lori's. Yeah, once a year we do, uh, in October, we have a Domestic Violence Sunday, uh, Abuse Sunday, uh, Social Justice Awareness, what we call it now. And uh, we, we do it from different points of view. We've done it. Uh, this is a young woman, a woman who, uh, in one of the, uh, the local churches, her husband was a doctor, but basically she was a prisoner in her house. And she, her family, uh, very, 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 very conservative uh, family, uh, they, they, they are like, our eyes have been opened. She's got to get out of there. He's going to kill her. And so uh, they shared their story one Sunday with everybody. She's now a counselor. She's got her working, she's actually working on her PhD uh, to do work in uh, family counseling. So, um, so every year we try to do it from a different angle. We've, yeah. we've talked with men. We've had women. Uh, we've had we've talked with adult children that have been in abuse so but that's my main focus I've done abuse work for about 22 years now mm -hmm. so uh, we have a lot of women uh, I have our only person left off of our core team because we kind of broke up our core team when we started uh, she is my right-hand person she's don't you tell her I said this <clears throat> She's not listening to me. Don't you tell her I said this. She's 70 years old, and she's my biggest helper in working in domestic violence. She oh, escaped 20 years ago with her kids, and uh, so she came with us, and she works with us now. And uh, she's yeah. So I uh, we have a uh, that's where our biggest work is, and we ha a lot of our members have been in domestic violence, probably the majority, and now they're in a healthy place. None of them are still in it, so that's really good, and. Uh, a lot of them come for a short time to heal and move on. So we've been really blessed and fortunate to work with that. And that's where our work with the county has come in. Because, you know, we didn't want to reinvent the wheel on abuse. Uh -huh. We didn't want to try to, you know, rescue people and save people. Because they've got the money. The county supposedly has the money. We don't have the money to do it. So we always work with our agencies and send people there and work with them. Yeah, so the government can do um, much better work yep. they work with the communities <laughs> right. and the church the church right. uh, families and all that so we're we're a big bridge for that we're yeah right. yes um, you said earlier that you have church leaders do you have like any expectations for your leaders or what does that look like for y'all when we had interns we were getting earlier we were getting a lot of interns yeah so all of them were trained domestic violence advocates and almost all of them working in agencies in the community so um, we tried to we trained a couple, did a couple of couples as elders, and uncovered a lot of family issues, and then they just left uh, some bad issues. And, and our interns actually were a big part of confronting them over some of that. So we yeah we we um, and my stuff I've written on elder development, you know solid families, solid marriages, healthy relationships are three big issues. But we have a leadership group now, yeah. so anybody can join that's been, you know, with us for a while, uh, and it's it's all walks 
we have uh, Big John, one of our guys is on it, Judy's on it, uh, we have a couple of our young couples and we meet every month uh, and then it changes. So they kind of set the tone, they help us make sure, kind of keep, not checks and balances, but they're good about saying, hey, you guys are going a little too fast, we're still trying to catch our breath back here. You know, so we've kind of developed that style of leadership. Does that make sense? Yeah. Do you have like expectations for them though in their like walks, I guess, like to be like like, you know, really held high to a certain standard or like anything like that? Well those those leaders that are uh, volunteer type leaders, we we don't but they wouldn't be asked to be there if there was like moral moral right. issues. Yeah, but do they take that pledge that you were talking no, about? No, they no, don't. They, they don't. don't. Um, they if don't. we have, if you're, if you were on staff type of thing, they they yeah, took that. They take that. Yeah. And 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 also we're under the the elders at Park Plaza in Tulsa, so we have accountability with that as well as Kairos. Um, but yeah, I mean we, if you're in a appointed leadership, you know we have standards, and and it's nothing more than what you would see in the Bible. Um, but most of it is, you know, if you're married, if you're, uh, you have a family, you know, you need to be a good father, good husband, good mother, you know, you need to have that, that needs to be really solid. Mm -hmm. And the sad thing is that's become the bigger disqualifier. Mm -hmm. And it's not about whether your kids are in church when they leave home, it's about what kind of a dad actually, what kind of a mom actually are you. And we were having, yeah, we were finding that, yeah. Um, the, the houses that were built on the property, <clears throat> Are they uh, subject to some kind of code? No. Uh, building code or no. anything like that? They've got, we got people that they wiggle around. They work with the city and we, like they're calling them hard tents. Because uh -huh. we call them a house, they got to follow code. So they call them hard tents. And the city goes, oh, okay. Because okay. so there's a crisis. Oh, we have, they call them zombie trailers. You know, you got all of these RVs and trailers that are being oh, used okay. by a lot of homeless individuals and then oh, they're abandoned. Yeah, they're and the city was the city was blowing them up. I mean, you go by the impound lots, and they're full trailers. And so the Jason, the police, they were saying we can't tow them. So we have a group that uh, they they take them to the high schools because high school kids love to tear stuff up, and the high school kids strip them to the frame in the shop class, and then we build a little house on the frame. So all of these. So they're all movable. Up. Yeah. So we're recycling material. Yeah. Yeah, uh, every, every state is going to have different yeah, standards yeah, because yeah. Um, I don't know how that would go over in, here in Los Angeles County. I think they may be a little stricter. <laughs> when you declare something a crisis, Suddenly, it opens up the door. We found that oh, it yeah, opens right. up the door. And I, w I was listening to a thing about out of Orange uh, a Talk Radio yesterday. They were talking about the homeless crisis oh, yeah. and, and how they they're ready to do it as a uh, right. Uh, yeah. yeah, freely. Yes. Yeah. Um, on the abuse thing, this was interesting because we've written stuff on domestic violence, and like in India, they were using one of the books for a training. And what what we found out was. Um, uh, one of the Russian Oregon social service groups um, did an interview and put it in their, their Russian magazine about domestic violence in the faith community because they were had a, had a hard one. At the same time, I'd been having conversations with Eastern European Mission about translating one of the books into Russian to be used. And the director he's, was really excited and then he emailed the next week and said, I'm, I'm sorry to say the minister says it's not a problem over here. And he said, I know that it is, but he said, I'm sorry. So three months later, when this came out in the magazine locally, mm -hmm. I said, how about if you translate the Russian, we use it here? And he immediately said, we'll do it free of charge. And then our publisher in Eugene said, 
we'll, we'll uh, do the print free of charge. The Russian organization said we have nothing from faith-based domestic violence services in Russia. So this July, Eastern European Mission is going to translate the book into Russian. Our publisher is going to print it, and by the fall, we'll be distributing copies. And so we've just said, and here again, when you talk about being led by the Spirit, we get all these creative ways to say, okay, how can we do our work here or globally? And, you know, um, if these individuals can translate that into a Sanskrit, then we'll use it locally. But we're finding that there's groups that are saying, uh, like with Malawi, um, the UN's like, come over, work with the, we'll work together. And we can start doing, this little church can start doing ministry globally with people who are willing to just reach out. And, and, and I think that goes back to what we were saying. Uh, to be led by the Spirit or to do missional ministry, it's about being sent. And you know, you know, we believe as leaders we're sent and the congregation goes with us. Uh, so we need to go where the Spirit goes. So the Spirit is working in the weirdest places. And when you go into a homeless camp that didn't pray, and now because of Ryan, who struggles with bipolar there, they're all, we're praying when we go down there. What I, what I noticed, too, is that um, the people who, who we consider possibly the weaker people in the church mm -hmm. that have a lot of needs, when you work with them, then that's when ministry gets rolling, you know, because because yeah. if you, you try to work with the people that are so-called well, you don't grow a ministry because they don't need it, you know, they're, they're there they saying, you know, yeah. I'm the leader, I don't really need that, I don't need you to be talking to me, you know, yeah. and so, yeah. so um, it's the, the, the ones that need, are needy, that keep the ministry growing and growing yeah. and flourishing. I find this to be interesting as you mentioned that. So we tried to reach a lot of millennials when we were first starting. And, um, and there's, we have some people who are millennials, but the majority of millennials just didn't want to get into it. This kind of, And we thought it was us, but as I've been working with local agencies, it's mostly older people, middle-aged older people. And whether it's dealing with racism or immigrant issues or domestic violence. And I was ha I've been having conversations with a lot of the workers and they'll say things like, we get a lot of younger people and they, they get all excited and then they're gone. And, the, and they'll say, we thought this, that everybody could do social justice, but you have to have a passion. And I've been saying, we call that a calling. Mm -hmm. And they go, yeah. And one lady's from India, she goes, oh, I like that word. What's that called? Calling. You're called to this ministry. You can do nothing else. And I've had people working in some of the homeless camps that are leading and they'll say, I, I don't think I can do anything else. I'll say that we call that calling. And it's been interesting using that language because it's, it's not just about age, it's about do I feel called to do this? And, and, and who are we going to reach? Well, we believe we're going to the margins because that's where the Spirit lives and the people who want to reach will go with us and then God will continue to work there. Um, and it's not about age, it's not about income, it's about a willingness to go work on the margins and, and advocate for people and see the ministry that the Spirit do work there. I think that's all. Yeah. Keep pouring the weird. <laughs> the Unipiper. Oh, the Unipiper. <laughs> so those are, we got a few minutes for questions, if, if anybody has any. I, I have a question. I'm just curious, you're, you're, so your primary sponsorship is with a church in Tulsa. What's your relationship with the local church in Portland? Um, so 
I was I was a leader in Portland already with the church. You said Gresham was like. Was yeah, yeah. I, well, and um, you've been there. I, I I feel like we have a good relationship. Um, I think. Uh, I mean, I get along with the ministers. I go to a lot of the meetings. We connect a lot. I I, I do feel a little bit of. Uh, you got you guys are kind of out there doing. You know, I don't want to say anything bad about what you're doing. But you're kind of out here doing this weird ministry that not a lot of people want to do. And so I've, I think sometimes we feel alone. But when we connect with people in other churches, what we hear is, hey, we love what you're doing. We think it's great. We have a few churches, Churches of Christ, that will come and work with Agape Blitz in the summers. So we have healthy relationships there. So I think, hopefully that answers your question. Well, I'm just curious. You're, you, I, here's my brain saying, okay, because you are weird. By having sponsorship halfway across the country, they don't feel that weirdness so much. They just trust that you're doing the work of the spirit. And actually, Whereas if they were local, they yeah. would say, oh. I'm in Portland, you're weird, I better keep an eye on That's true. What's been cool about that, though, is their group, they have a mission team that comes out every year, and one of the women loved the group that meets under the bridge. Every Thursday night, there's oh, a big yeah, group. Yeah. It's called Bridgetown Ministries. We go down and volunteer take care of about 300 homeless. She couldn't let that go. She went back to Tulsa, and now they have what's called Nightlight, and they service about 300 homeless people that the church they were at said, we don't have a homeless problem, and 300 people showed up. So that's been kind of cool that she has been able to take something back, and, and, but you're right. They're, they're pretty much, we trust what you do, you know. And I, and I speak at the Christian Scholars Conferences every year with this Church of Christ professors so I'm always welcome to that um, we have I do a lot of work in academic communities so we have a lot of good relationships but one thing that I do hear is that a lot of professors and a lot of churches are saying we're not doing that kind of work and we need to learn more to, how to do that and so it may be that we're kind of so focused on mission work locally that we don't step back and say how can we work with y'all so yeah. As it becomes more and more crisis, which it is, this is not going to go away. It's not. No, it's, it's not. It's going to start worse. paying You're attention. Right. Yeah. So I applaud your efforts. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time.